to the Psychedelic Diaries. I am your host, Ray Krishna. <clears throat> so we have a show for you today. We will be joined momentarily by award-winning journalist and author Ben Westhoff for a deep dive and a soul search. Today, we'll discuss fentanyl, hip-hop, and of course, experiences on large doses of psychedelics. Well, let's get started with a nugget and a noodle. In today's news nugget, Toronto has voted to decriminalize all drugs and has gone the path of Portugal and the state of Oregon. And it's just scintillating to see another city at this level legalizing drugs, or at least trying to. And it's not a done deal just yet. They still have to submit to Health Canada, the governing agency for the entire country. But very exciting news for psychedelics. And as for the noodle, something I've been noodling on of late is our transcendent experiences a channel into the insights of reality, or are they simply a chemical reaction for Darwinian evolution? So psychedelic transcendent experiences like meeting God, experiencing the totality of all things, or even ego death and rebirth can be very compelling and feel very real. But are they a glimpse into the nature of our existence, or are they just evolutionarily beneficial for a species to have a chemical brain reaction to make us think there is this beautiful connected universe with dimensions we can't understand. Is that good for survival to have people out there ringing the bell that, hey, we're connected and to love each other and to be kind? I have to admit it's possible that this profound sensation could actually be another fascinating layer of Darwinian evolution. But for my money, I think it's the former. I think they are, in fact, a real glimpse to the nature of our reality. Something to noodle on. Okay, producer Kevin, are we all synced up with Ben? We are. Okay, well, our next guest has been featured on Wall Street Journal, New York Times, CNN, the Joe Rogan podcast. He is the author of Fentanyl Inc., original gangster, and has a new book coming out called Little Brother, Love, Tragedy, and My Search for the Truth. Ben Westhoff, thank you for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Ray. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Well, Really quickly before we dive in, you've written a book about West Coast hip hop. You've written a book. Uh, you've written a book about Southern hip hop. Do you dislike East Coast hip hop? <laughs> nope. I I like East Coast hip hop too, but there's been more written about it. And you know, West Coast is just the gangster rap, the the Crips and the Bloods, the you know the crack era. It was just such an interesting thing to write about from all these different sort of layers. So that's what caught my eye for that. I appreciate that. So let's dive in, Ben. You have written about the opioid epidemic and become a bit of a expert in the area after your book, Fentanyl Inc. And you went pretty deep as you, as you dove into the underground world of narcotics. And I'm curious, what were some of your personal takeaways from all of that research? I started writing this book about, you know, more than five years ago, Fentanyl Inc. And it was originally going to be a book about ecstasy, actually, yeah. kind of a cultural history of, of ecstasy and MDMA. But the more I researched into MDMA, it looks like it looked like nobody was taking actual MDMA anymore, that all of the so-called ecstasy was being adulterated. And so I was like, you know, what are they adulterating with? They always talked about rat poison and stuff like that. But it turned out there were all these new chemicals. They're all synthetic. They're all from China. 
And I really, you know, nobody knew anything about them. So I went down the rabbit hole and fentanyl was the deadliest of all of these. And, you know, no one had really even heard of fentanyl back then. And now fast forward to today, it's causing the worst drug crisis in American history. And I think, you know, for people who are interested in psychedelics, for people who are following the legalization process, I think fentanyl is really kind of a thorn in the side for that mm. because, you know, with, with marijuana legalization, it happened so fast and everyone thought, you know, psychedelics are next, it's happening. But, you know, when you have politicians seeing all these drug deaths, they don't want to be seen as the person, you know, with exceptions of like Toronto, like you're talking about for someone like Joe Biden, it's really hard to see him kind of pushing the green light button for a lot of these drugs at a time when we have more drug deaths than ever before. Hmm. Well put. Uh, maybe it's a case for sticking with the all natural options such as magic mushrooms, but we can chat about that in just a second. I, I want to take a step back a little bit and go a little bit meta for the experience, the subjective experience of an author. So you've had now a couple successful books. And for you, as you look at the very stages, Ben, you've got obviously the research, you've got the writing, you've got the pre-marketing, you've got the release. And then in your case, you've got the afterglow of success. And for other aspiring writers out there or authors, what would you say is the most challenging part of the process? And what's the most satisfying part? I think the marketing is always the thing authors worry about the most. And the number one complaint authors have is that their publishing company didn't promote them, you know, and it's like editors are harried. They don't have time in some cases to even edit the books. Like authors have to hire pay out of pocket to hire extra editors, extra publicists. But I think if you're willing to sort of pound the pavement and just like, leave no stone unturned, do networking. If you believe in your project and that's what it starts with, it, it has to be something. If you're going to write a book to just try to like follow which way the wind is blowing or <laughs> your heart's really not in it, it's just not worth it. Cause it takes so many years to write a book and then it's like a full-time job to market it. So uh, um, that's kind of the key is to really have love for it. That's a good start and good to know that it's like just having someone on your team doesn't mean they're going to do the work for you. You're still going to have to be the one that gets out there and pounds the pavement. Uh, speaking of, of pounding the pavement, you did that for Original Gangster, the book you wrote about hip hop, and that turned into a bit of a sensation. As you dove deep into that world, Ben, what surprised you about hip hop and the culture? I grew up loving the West Coast stuff like Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, NWA. And when I was the music editor at LA Weekly, I had the chance to interview all of my childhood heroes, you know, Ice Cube, Ice T, all these guys. And um, but I, I tried just not to be a fanboy. You know what I mean? It was important to get the real stories. And so I did this deep dive with the LA police records. Is literally like this subterranean building that I took an elevator down and was just pulling records. You know, I pulled like Dr. Dre's records and I figured, well, somebody has to have done this before, but really nobody had because it turned out he had like beaten up all these, these women that it wasn't previously disclosed about, particularly 
the mother of three of his children when they were teenagers. He <laughs> like beat her while she was pregnant and she had a restraining order and, and all this stuff, um, you know, checked out. So, so, you know, when you think about gangster rap um, and NWA, you think about Easy E. And he was kind of the, he was really doing it. He was in the, the Crips and he was dealing crack cocaine. But the other guys like um, Ice Cube and Dr. Dre, they actually had all these anti-gang songs and they like talked about how they didn't smoke weed. And um, they had, their, their early music was just really fun to listen to. <laughs> I appreciate that, that uh, descriptive experience of going deep into the wells and pulling the records. I was surprised. I've heard I'm in L.A., so I get to have the occasional celebrity run in. And I've heard some of them are quite prickly, like Dre and Snoop can be um, more prickly than people would think. But I've had the experience. I stumbled into Common and Earth Bar and I bumped into Ludacris at uh, this, this spot in Beverly Hills. And both of them were just like the two of the nicest guys I've ever met. And it's just surprising to see that when you meet these these rappers. Yeah, well, you know, I think there's a lot of American celebrities who start out being like tough. They have this image of this like someone you don't want to fuck with. But then by the time they reach middle age, they're still sort of trading on that. <laughs> but but they're so nice in person, you know, that um, that is disarming. And it's just makes it interesting when they're in, uh, you know, like these comedy, all these comedies that people like Ice Cube have been in. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. Maybe the, the celebrity, all the money and the good life kind of softens you up. So there's less stuff to be angry about and prickly about. Um, OK, Ben, switching gears just a little bit to psychedelics. Uh, you and I had a recent run in that was kind of fun for me. Uh, my personal experience on psilocybin magic mushrooms has been that it was about five years ago that I discovered the impact it had on cognitive ability and creativity. And that really changed the trajectory of my life. And more recently, I had a trip at uh, Red Rock National Park before the Meet Delic conference where we bumped into each other. And uh, when I passed you a few caps, I was delighted to see you just threw them down, no chaser. And uh, I'm curious. <laughs> not, you. not the best tasting uh, thing to <laughs> eat, but, you know, did the trick. Good. Well, I hope it worked out for you with the rest of that conference. Um, Stepping back a little bit, Ben, what has been your experience and your journey with psychedelics? Well, yeah, no, I want to thank you, though, for that. That was a that was a very fun time. You know, Meet Delic, <laughs> it's very psychedelic focused. And um, they had all these speakers speaking on the subjects, but also like, you know, circus style performers. Um, this woman from like Antarctica or the, the, the far north was singing these songs using her vo voice as this like crazy like type of throat singing and wore these <laughs> these huge costumes i mean and then i went to the meow wolf art exhibit which i was telling you about after i'd taken these mushrooms so it was just all like tailor-made for that experience so thank you um yeah i mean i i think you were saying before about when it comes to legalization we should focus on magic mushrooms yeah and, and natural stuff you know Marijuana, it's never killed anybody. Magic mushrooms never killed anybody. Even LSD, it's never killed anybody, you know, from an overdose. I mean, yes. sure, someone, people have died while they did stupid things on LSD. But these are drugs with like an incredible track record of safety. You know, I think it was mm. Mitchell Gomez from Dance Safe who was saying that 
you could make a case that LSD is safer than water, right? Because people have, have drank too much water and died. But people have literally, there was a case in San Francisco where they had some powdered LSD that people thought was cocaine. And they sniffed it up like cocaine, hundreds and hundreds of doses. And they didn't die. You know, they were still, they were like out of it and then hospitalized and stuff, but they didn't die. So I think that's, that's the way I've thought about it. And psychedelics are definitely my preference for sure when it comes to drugs. Yeah, I heard that story and, and like the, the punchline at the end of it was, they said, well, what was it like once you got through the, the, you know, uh, once you came back to earth or whatever? And she's like, actually, it was pretty nice. Uh, <laughs> like she did 500 times the dose and she's like yeah actually scary but then it actually worked out and i think yeah. it's good you're right the fact that you can't even overdose on it and the fact that they're kind of anti-addictive it's it's almost like we need a new class uh it's like there's two types of drugs there's the ones that are very addictive and the ones that aren't and they shouldn't be called the same thing speaking of two classes ben uh for me on large doses i would say for magic mushrooms 3.5, three grams to maybe five grams. It seems like there's two types. Uh, for me, one, there's the type where you go off into a different dimension. And there's the other where you're very much still on earth, but you get visuals and the experience, you feel like a child. And it's two different types. And uh, the ones where you get pulled into a different dimension, they're not that common, but they can be some of the most impactful from my experience. And uh, I had one where just as the medicine was kicking in, it felt like this other dimension, this higher dimension had almost like a team of doctors and they were checking my vitals and they're waiting for me to be uh, my, for my body to be completely still for my mind to quiet. And then just when the time was right, they pulled me and that feeling of, no, there's a team there that was waiting for me to be just in the right spot. It left me with this sensation that there is something very powerful in this other dimension, if you want to call it that. It's kind of comforting. Um, and it's still stuck with me. And I'm curious, what has been a profound or mystical psychedelic experience that you can recall? Well, I'm not a large dose guy at all. I mean, I just, I can't handle it. Um, I've had bad experiences. I don't recommend sniffing LSD like it's cocaine. <laughs> um, but what what LSD in particular does to me is it always like, makes me confront my fears mm. in a big way. And so it gives me this sense of profound, like confidence and optimism. So back in San Francisco, when I was living there in like uh, the year 2000, I took LSD like almost every day for a summer. Holy and shit. I would do, I would do stuff like I would hop on a bus and I would like chat up everybody on the bus, you know, to going up to complete strangers and then I went to um, Mount Tamalpais, which is in uh, the North Bay across the Golden Gate Bridge. And I hitchhiked to the top of the mountain. And I like then I climbed down the mountain, like not on a path, but just like bushwhacking my way down there. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and so at one point it got really steep and I was trying to follow my way down uh, a little stream. And so I was on the side of this ravine and then all of a sudden. I like, uh, it got too steep. So I had to jump down and I jumped onto what I thought was some, like a, a sturdy piece of wood, but I crashed through. And so I like 
I like scarred up my my side. It was like bloody from being cut with this wood. And and all of a sudden I'm like sitting there like at the bottom of this ravine, bloody, not knowing like how to get the, the way down. And I'm like, all right, what I need to do is just relax. And so I, I sat down. I, I was like doing meditation. I was like, all right, relax, relax, relax. And so I became so relaxed that I started to fall asleep. And then all of a sudden I was like, holy shit, this is like how they find people, you know, in the woods that have fallen asleep and like never, you know, never get to be heard from again. So, so I got up and I'm like, oh my God, I got to do this. So, so it was one of those things where I was like letting nature be my guide. I was like listening to the bees and the bees were telling me to go this way. And, uh, finally I, I made it down to the bottom of the mountain and, uh, I still have fond memories of that day. Oh, that's cool. Well, one, I'm surprised you were able to almost fall asleep on LSD. When I'm on LSD, I feel like a mad scientist that's wired like Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty. But uh, <laughs> this idea of, uh, you said how it, it kind of exposes your fears and lets you work through them or kind of like you can rub them out in a way. I, I totally agree. And I appreciate that that concept. It's almost like, it's like mental oxygen mass training where, you know, when, when these professional premier athletes, when they work out with the oxygen mask on, it makes them that does a deprivation of oxygen. It makes them more fit when they're actually having uh, a regular oxygen level during the game. And it feels like psychedelics can do that for, for our minds where it kind of makes you feel like a 10 year old again. And you have to work through how to talk to somebody, how to hike up a mountain or down it. And when you do it with kind of, your faculties that are diminished a little bit, when you get back to, to normal life and, and you're sober, it's that much easier because you've had right. to practice at it. Or else it just like tells me something that I've been bearing in my mind that I've been purposefully pushing to the back. It's like, you've been neglecting this person in your life. And uh, mm. I'm like, oh God, I have, this is awful. And so I don't know. I, I tend to like do work when I'm an LSD or like, um, like my best, some of my best writing, sometimes I feel like come out of that state, but it's also just really? like connecting with people. And I have like these incredible, like phone conversations with people mm -hmm. and, you know, even like my family. And, um, to me, it's just like energy. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't see like, you know, psychedelic patterns that never happens to me. It's all just like, maybe you haven't done enough. That, that, that could be part of it. But I think it's just, for me, it's just like so mental and it, it makes me go down these, these paths. I feel like, um, you know, a superhero cause I just have so much energy and so much like vision at the time. I appreciate that. I feel like I I'm a proponent. If I had to choose one, I would say magic mushrooms, but for work and for micro dosing, I think LSD is the ticket where you've got this like eight hours of like, clean energy and you just feel you feel yeah light, you that's feel a creative. good way to describe it and so what do you i love that you did it for a whole summer and this this idea that some of your best writing came from it do you remember what your preferred dosage was for a good productive microdose on lsd i don't know i also am not even <laughs> i was sure what microdosing means because for me it's like i could have this much you know or i could have this much and it, it's almost all the same you know what i mean like sometimes it's really? just I'm the same with caffeine. Like I, I could have like one sip of coffee and I'm like 
set for the day. You know, I think maybe I just like have a low, low tolerance for all. Same with booze. I can drink one beer and that's plenty. Cheap date. That's a good trait to have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, well, let's step back a little bit. I, I appreciate your takes on uh, psychedelics and on the drug culture at large. So let's just imagine, let's say thought experiment, Ben, that you are the drug czar for uh, the U.S. and let's throw Canada in there. And you've got carte blanche. What would you do with psychedelics? Well, I would first take away any criminal penalties for it, you know, Mm. stop throwing people in prison about it. Um, I would definitely green light and make, you know, I would I would unschedule these drugs, first of all, because that really impedes. uh, First of all, it's the basis for criminalization. And second, it it impedes research, you know, and and we are starting to see the research pick up in the last few years. But, you know, for decades, LSD was marginalized. I don't need to tell you, but scientists need to know that they are in the free and clear to do, you know, to do real research and and psychiatrists need to know this. Um, And so those would be the first obvious steps. I mean, in terms of like, the regulation, that's important too. You know, I write in Fentanyl Inc. about um, all this knockoff LSD that came under the market, these NBOME drugs, they're called N-bombs, which is the worst name of all time for a drug. Um, <laughs> but they're like, you know, like I said, LSD has never killed anyone by an overdose, but these N-bombs were killing people all over the place. And they came Jesus. specifically because there was no access to LSD. Otherwise there would have been no market for it. People preferred LSD. So if we, you know, are kind of like standardizing the production of LSD and people know they can buy it from a a government approved source and it actually is the pure stuff, that's, that's like half the battle when it comes to safety, if not, you know, the entire battle. Amen. Well put. What a cogent and clear thought. On, the, on this topic. Thank you for that. So, uh, Ben, you have a new book coming out called Little Brother Love, Tragedy and My Search for the Truth. Can you give us a little teaser about it? Yeah, well, I've written about hip hop and I've written about drugs. And this is a, kind of a true crime memoir story that sort of involves both. Um, I was in the Big Brothers, Big Sisters program. And I had a mentee named Jarrell Cleveland from Ferguson, which is right outside of St. Louis where I live. And we were together for 11 years until he was murdered in 2016. He was 19 years old and the unsolved case languished for years. And so finally, I, um, I just decided I had to, you know, for my sake, for the family's sake, find out who did this. And I launched this, launched an investigation. And it was, it was difficult because I learned all sorts of stuff about, Jarrell that I never knew before. Like he was, you know, he had uh, kind of like an opioid issue that I didn't know about. He was hanging out with these really unsavory characters and dealing, you know, black market guns and stuff like that. Um, But, but it was really satisfying to like actually learn what happened to him and um, bring some kind of closure to his family. So that, that book comes out in May. Congrats on that. Very exciting. Sounds riveting. Little brother, love, tragedy, and my search for the truth. Go grab that book. Um, Really quick, actually, follow before we jump into the soul search, Ben. What is your work cadence like? For instance, do you work when you're writing? Is it, do you like to take breaks? Is it a seven hour surge of writing? How do you approach that? 
Yeah, I mean, I like to go out. I'm a long distance runner, so I like to go for a, a run in the afternoon. And, uh, you know, I heard you're supposed to like every 20 minutes do some stretching, but no, I'm a pretty nine to five guy, really. I, 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 I get up early um, before the kids get up, pound some workout. Um, I just, I'm not one of those like brilliant um, guys who needs their inspiration, who like sit around waiting for inspiration to strike and then go on a tear. I have to just be methodical about it. I appreciate that. Routine is freeing, I've heard recently. So, okay, well, producer Kevin, it is time for the soul search. Question number one, I think you might, I think you might like this one. What are your top three rappers all time? Kanye, Biggie, Ghostface. <laughs> You know what? I, I feel like our generation is, uh, we can't help but just love Kanye. It's like the, a little bit of an earlier generation with Michael Jackson, where no matter what they do, it's like, hold on a second. He made flashing lights and <laughs> run away. I, I, come on. Uh, okay, question number two. Ben, are we in a simulation? No, I think it's just we would know by now if we were. Okay. Question number three. Ben, what is one famous person that you would like to trip with? Lana Del Rey. <laughs> okay, wasn't expecting that one. And question number four. Ben, would you rather have somebody's curiosity or their attention? Um, this is the hardest of the questions. Um, man, I'm down to like five seconds. Uh, I guess I would rather have their curiosity. Respect. I'm with you on that one. Um, okay, Ben, where can the viewers find you or do you have any action items to request? Um, you, my website, just Google Ben Westoff. You'll find it, benwestoff.com. And, uh, you know, you can get my books wherever and uh, action items. Um, action items. I'm trying to think what that might mean, but I can't figure it out. Like things I would like people to do on my behalf. Sure. Uh, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website. It's the Drugs and Hip Hop newsletter. <laughs> so you'll, you might like that one. I appreciate that. I might have to do that myself. Okay, we'll get those links in the description. That's it for this episode of the Psychedelic Diaries. Ben Westhoff, thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks, Ray. It's, it was a lot of fun. Excellent. Well, for producer Kevin, I am Ray Christian. We'll see you next time. Um,